Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am so psyched to be here for this episode with the artist and Jumali. If you're here for the first time on Roadcase to listen to me chat with them, welcome to the Roadcase community. I'm so psyched that you're here. If you're a longtime listener or repeat listener to Roadcase, I'm so happy that you're here and thanks for being along with for this ride with me. There's a number of different ways that you can get involved with the Roadcase community. Uh, first is a really easy way, and all of these help out the show just so much. So uh, follow us on the socials. We're at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, if you'd like have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us with them. Uh, we're at info at roadcasepod.com. And you can also find out more information about Roadcase by visiting our website, www.roadcasepod.com. Another great and easy way to help out Roadcase and to support this podcast, super easy. Uh, just subscribe to uh, Roadcase on your favorite listening platform. So if you're up on Spotify, for example, that little box that says follow, just click that. If you're on Apple Podcast, up in the upper right-hand corner, there's a check mark. Uh, just click that. And by doing this on those two platforms and other platforms, uh, allow you to receive live updates as to when new episodes come into the world. And uh, being a subscriber to Roadcase on those platforms also also helps out this podcast so much. Just a quick and easy way to support Roadcase. Uh, another great way to support Roadcase is to rate and review this podcast on your listening platform. Uh, a couple examples on Spotify. Uh, under that box that says follow, there's a little other box that with a star on it. Just click that uh, on Apple Podcasts from the Roadcase homepage. You just scroll up a little bit or scroll down, if you will, and there's a bunch of stars and a place where you can write a review. Uh, doing that really helps out the show. It's quick and easy and really help support Roadcase. So thanks in advance for doing that. In the meantime, uh, this episode features a chat that I had with the artist and Jimily. Um, he uses they, him pronouns. Uh, so I go ahead and use those and uh, also said I could call him Jimmy just by way of background. So you know what's going on with that. And Jimily was raised outside of Dallas in Plano, Texas. Uh, of Malawi-born parents who were very musical, loved both American music as well as African music, played tons of it around the house quite a bit, which really lent to uh, Anjimali's broad range of musical influences. Uh, their latest album from 2020 is entitled Giver Taker. They also have a new single on, four, on the 4AD label entitled Stranger. Anjumali talks in very blunt and honest terms about their journey as a trans person and is equally open about their struggle with alcoholism along the way. Anjumali is now sober, but that in itself was also a journey. I have so much admiration for their strength, knowledge, perseverance, and recognition of what he needed to do to get better at that time. And Jimmy has lived through so much struggle uh, to become the person that they are today, both in their trans journey as well as their journey as a sober person. And they're here to tell their story. And I'm so glad that uh, he came along and I was able to chat with and Gemily for this episode. I'm so glad that you're along for this ride as well. I know you'll really enjoy this chat. So. Thanks again to everyone for being here, and I want to send a special thanks to Anjumali for being here on this episode of Roadcase, and here we go. Hey, Jimmy, so glad to have you here. I am so psyched to talk to you. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, Josh, yeah. Um... It's a beautiful day in Durham, North Carolina. I'm just chilling. Durham, North Carolina. So is it hotter than hell there or what? Um, 
not today. Just <laughs> speaking, yes, it is extremely fucking hot. <laughs> in general, yeah. Usually, usually. Yeah, the days have been great here in Chicago. I always end up talking, I don't know, the weather. It's always the weather. But it's fun because I talk to people from like different places, parts in the country, and it's always like interesting, like what's going on there and stuff. And like, I don't know. Also, because the last time I was in North Carolina was Charlotte, North Carolina, back in like August of last year. And it, oh, God. I just, I can't do that heat, man. I cannot do that heat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. So um, you live there now. Where'd you grow up? Um, so I grew up in Plano, Texas. Ah. A, a suburb of Dallas. In, yeah. Uh, yeah, Northeast Texas. Uh-huh. Northeast, Northeast Texas. Yeah, I can't say I've been. Is that near Austin at all? Um, it's like, uh, I think Austin is further South. Yeah. Like five hours. Texas is it's just so long. It's just so big. It's just large. From, from Dallas, it's about a three to four hour drive down South. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. We'll yeah. Yeah. Like Oklahoma. And you have such an interesting background from a family perspective. Your parents are from Malawi. Yeah. And uh, so they came here in the 80s. Um, so what influence does that did that have in your life? Well, I think like, as I as I grow older, I'm able to understand like what what influence that would have. Yeah. Like you're a kid, you're like, yeah, these are my parents. Like, yeah, they do the weird shit they do. And then I like, <laughs> go to school and my friends are like, your parents have like British accents. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that's just how they <laughs> they often realize like how you have have and have not assimilated to like American culture. So right. I think it was it was uh it was kinda dope. Um I never did really learn the native language Chichewa. Chichewa? So that's a bummer, but you know, my parents did it on purpose because they wanted yeah. us to assimilate it also so that they could just carry on conversations in a different language without <laughs> knowing <laughs> they're talking about <laughs> yeah right you have that subterfuge kind of level yeah. of communication that was smart of them i guess they didn't I, care i definitely picked up some phrases here and there but um yeah it was great yeah for yeah, sure sure. So, and uh, like from a musical influence, then once I read that, and then I was going back to, um, particularly, I found that the song Maker sort of has this Afro pop sort of feel to it. If I'm not, maybe I'm mistaken. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Am I off base there, Jimmy? I think you're right. And it's kind of funny because um, that song, like the most direct sonic influence is uh, Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fear. <laughs> so in terms cool. of feel. Uh-huh. And like, I know they're just like, you know, English dudes or whatever, but I always thought that that, that song had like a kind of Afro pop vibe and I have no idea like what, I just feel like the guitarist. Yeah. 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 I'm feeling that a little bit. It's got that kind of like sort of multi arpeggio kind of sort of driving beat a little bit, you know? Yeah. 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 If you kind of break it down hard. Yeah. The syncopated like guitar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, did your parents kind of bring that to you, or they're just playing it around the house? What'd that sort of look like? Yeah, my parents used to play a lot of, yeah, just a lot of music around the house. And it was mostly like American pop music from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like, not necessarily Tears for Fears, but if like it was on the radio, they would like keep it on. But yeah, it was like Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson, a lot of Madonna. Um, also like Shaka Khan and like, yeah. And then also artists from, from Africa as well. So like one of my dad's go-tos is Oliver Mutakudzi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they used to have a couple of cassettes from, um, Ladysmith Black Mombazo. Cause my dad was super into that and also super into Paul Simon. So just yeah, of course, the sort of two go hand in hand now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I've been super, uh, just like last month, I was really into Graceland and just so appreciating the um, amazing breadth that <clears throat> that Paul Simon brought in in almost all of his work. And I went back to a couple of his deeper albums and oh, the yeah, the African influence on, on Graceland that was that was sort of that was groundbreaking for those like kids like me that were like listening to those songs and getting exposed to those kind of beats and and just mm-hmm. an artist that was so iconic coming up with 
you know, an African influenced album to a, to a huge extent was, was really, um, was really big for me at the time and for everybody. I mean, that's like a multi-platinum insane album. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I love that record. I've got it on cassette. <laughs> nice. It's like, I have like a little cassette cathedral and it's just like up there. Uh, that shit slaps. Um, <laughs> I haven't listened to cassettes in a while. What do those sound like anymore? Oh, you know, that is a great question because I don't <laughs> but it sounds cool to say you've got the cassette yeah like i got the cassette you know i just like look at it every day right there you go that's all that's all you could basically do anymore i guess right (laughs) either that or head out on into the frontier the ebay frontier to find a cassette player i guess i i don't know um so you were you you grew up in north carolina african parents um didn't you, li- didn't you live in Boston for a little bit too? I did. I lived in Boston. Oh, I grew up in uh, Texas. Oh, oh, what are the, oh, no, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You live in North Carolina, right? Yeah, now. Yeah, and yeah, I, when I was 18, which was, a, yeah, like 11 years ago, I moved to Boston for school. Mm. Um, and then it took me, I don't know, like six or seven years to graduate. Yeah. And I just stayed in Boston for a while. Where'd you go? I went to Northeastern University. Oh, nice. Uh huh. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Way far more diverse than Plano, Texas, I would imagine. You know, you'd be surprised. Not really. <laughs> well, I mean, a university environment, let's just say, we can get into the whole Boston thing, of course, which is, you yeah, know, I haven't lived there in a while, but it does get a bad rap in that regard. Yeah. It was, um, it was, yeah, no, it was, it was not more diverse. <laughs> I stand corrected. Just smack dab in the middle of kind of downtownish, and there's just yeah, Boston is just really segregated. So there was just a lot of white people. Um, and th- and then when I left like the northeastern bubble and started exploring other neighborhoods, I was like, oh okay, that's where like all the people of color are. What what was that experience for you? It's sort of like to get out of Texas in general and just kind of be out because like it can be very isolating, I guess, in Plano, Texas. I would imagine. Yeah, you know, like. I was, but it was really like a escape from Texas mission, um, because you know, white though Boston may be, it's like a very liberal and and progressive area, and the same mm. can certainly not be said for for Plano, Texas. Um, yeah. so I was like, you know, I got to get the hell up out of here, and um, one of my favorite bands at the time had just they lived they're from Boston, and they had just put out a record about how much they love Boston. Mm. Who's that? Dart out of map. Uh, they're called Big D and the Kids Table. Hmm. They're a ska band because I was like really into ska. Cool. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. They're like a, a third wave ska band that I was really into. And uh, I kind of just threw a dart in a map. And uh, I was like, okay, I'll go to Boston. And then nice. I just applied to Boston schools, got into one, and left Texas with the quickness. Oh, right on. Well, yeah, the 80s feels kind of feels like, you know, you were into 80s music, ska, that was a big thing then. I was into that, you know, specials, madness, <laughs> yes. uh, English yeah. beat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was super into all those bands. <laughs> yeah. Why are you laughing? It's just like, I just, because I didn't know, nobody else in, that I knew for a very long time past high school listened to ska that I knew. So I was just oh, like, God. I was out there just listening to ska. People were like, what the hell is that? And I was like, listen. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Shit I like. <laughs> right. I was lucky. And I think I saw the English beat way back when, but then I also saw them coming back around like in like, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago at some private party they played in Chicago. Dave yeah. Wakeling, he rocked, you know, that was really fun. I don't know like what the band status is now, but like I saw them twice, like 10 years ago. Yeah. They were- Boring, and they used they used to play at this venue in Boston like every like eight months or something. Yeah, well, you know, when you love to tour, you love to tour, right? Yeah. Um, didn't you just come off the road too? We were out with um, Hooray for the Riff Raff for a couple shows, a couple yeah. or so shows. What was that like? It was uh, so I I uh, when was that? I think it was in April that I went out with Riff Raff. Yeah, that sounds right. It's my first tour. No kidding. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. How was really? that? It was How many a, shows you do? It was uh like five weeks mm-hmm. shows. Yeah. 
How is Alinda? She Alinda Cigaro. She's like she's amazing. I love that band. Alinda is uh, is an amazing songwriter and performer. Yeah, totally. We got a lot from them, and yeah, yeah, it was it was challenging and exciting, and uh, I learned a lot. And I was like, holy shit! I guess this is touring. Yeah. Oh, right on. So challenging. How and what'd you learn? I think challenging just in terms of like you know when do I eat vegetables. And when can I get away from these, like, five dudes in this van? <laughs> can I call my girlfriend? It's kind of more just, like, I guess, like, practical life stuff. Like, what? when am I, when will I have time to, like, exercise? And just kind of, like, um, re-trying to, like, find some sense of homeostasis whilst also, like, being in a different city every night. Yeah, I think that's the key. I mean, from all the artists I talk to is just trying to find what works best for you. Did you get to that homeostatic point, I guess? Um, <laughs> I don't think I did, no. Mm, yeah. But I've, I'd like to think I got a little bit closer to figuring out what that is for me. So I last month in June, I, I went on tour with Tune Yards for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And... I think I was able to like find some inner peace out there and kind oh, of good. how to tour. Uh-huh. What was the secret? What kind of clicked it over to sort of feeling like it was, it was working for you? Well, I think like kind of a big thing, which w- w- it, you know, wasn't in my control for the Riff Raff tour. And it will just kind of be up to how future tours goes. Is that for a uh, hooray for the Riff Raff? I was riding in their van mm-hmm. and yards. I was driving myself and like, Pretty massive mm. pros and cons to each. Yeah, I would uh, imagine. But that did the driving for yourself work better for you? Yeah. You mm. know, the time alone like, or great. I'm just gonna sing in this car for six hours. Uh, yeah, but on the flip side, I was like, holy shit, I am tired. Yeah, uh, right. Driving is that's it it'll beat you down. But I can see how like having the time maybe I don't know, I guess it depends from personality to personality. A lot of people like to be just travel and be in the van with with the with everybody in the band and just I can see how also, like the constant socializing can 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 grind you down a little bit, just mentally, just to kind of be on or or not or feel like I, you know. I love being having time alone in the car myself. Yeah. So yes, I agree. And like, I love those. Riff, I love the riffraff folks. Like they're the bomb. They're mm. so and so are the tune yards folks. Yeah. It's like a special pleasure to like get time away from both of these groups right just have like solo time and be like ah it's nice to miss people you know and like i'm an introvert and so yeah like i realized i needed a need to figure out how to cultivate solitude on the road that's your key that's that's it right there that's the catchphrase cultivating solitude or that that's sort of the you know you got to identify the what those important things are for you are you like that just from day to day also kind of cultivating solitude i love that i actually love that turn of phrase I'm a pretty, yeah, I'm a pretty solitary person. My, uh, my girlfriend's at work and I like my work from home is either like practicing or, I mean, yeah, it's usually just rehearsing or writing, yeah, or, like napping or riding my bike. So like I spend most of my days by myself mm-hmm. and, um, it's, uh, it's the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> it's- well, I love, I always mention I tell when I talked to Trey Burt, you know, he was like, oh, I spent time alone over the holidays um, cause I think I talked to him like January, February time frame, And he's like, I was, I was, I was alone, but not lonely. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Right. That's yes. To that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so going back to Boston and, and, um, just sort of that time frame, Jimmy, and you've gone through a, a lot of different personal struggles being a, a trans person and being part of that community, but that did not come easy for you from my understanding, or that's what it, it sounded like. And, and on your album, you talk about it a lot, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I mean, maybe not come easy. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've, you've struggled with it. You're very thoughtful about it. And it's, it's, it's incredibly informative about you and it's incredibly admirable as well. And, um, the vulnerability with which you share your story, but, um, which is amazing. And, um, when did you first sort of start looking at your own identity and having a, a new direction for yourself? What did that, what did that look like for you, um, along the early parts of that journey, which I would presume maybe that started before you moved to Boston or not, but, um, yeah, yeah. I think, 
um, it it it's it's kind of been like a an ongoing uh, process. Excuse me, kind of yeah. post puberty, I guess. And uh-huh. when I was seventeen, at the time I was identifying as a woman, and I came out to my parents as a lesbian. I was like, "Hey, you guys, I'm a lesbian!" Like, hooray! Yeah, and it did not go over well. Uh, yeah, and and so that that was challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also like, well, I'm not going to not be a lesbian. I'm just going to leave the state of Texas and go be queer somewhere. Oh, um, so did that the timing, did that coincide with your kind of, that was the, I'm going to Boston? Yeah. I mean, did I was you like, sort of, t- did you, did you have a time like, okay, I'm going to Boston. I'm going to tell my parents and now I'm out. What did that look like? Not, nah, not really. I was never the most organized uh, uh, kid. Okay. I kind of like, from age like 12, I was like, I'm going to probably want to get the fuck out of here. Ah, uh, yeah. I don't think I could do that till college. Mm. And then like, coming out with, to my parents and having that be like a, a negative and painful experience, I was like, okay, I'm definitely leaving. Let's maybe make sure that there is no possible way that I can go to school in Texas. Um, mm. so I made a point to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then... When I was about, let's see, how old am I now? Okay, I'm 29. So I guess maybe when I was like a couple of years into college, I was like, I'm not sure if maybe lesbian is the right term for my for my sexuality because I'm not sure how I feel about my gender, if like woman is necessarily the right term. Mm-hmm. So my partner at the time showed me this like infographic called... Uh, and she was like a person who, who does like, who works with youth and queer youth and like, mm. just really radical and like taught me a lot of stuff about being queer and just yeah. like queer politics, I guess. And she showed me this infographic and it was called like the gender unicorn, I think. And it's like a picture of this really cute unicorn. <laughs> yeah. I think it's been like revamped over the years, uh, to be more in line with like what's, I guess, so what is most like socially appropriate what what are like the most socially appropriate terms to describe your gender in your relationship mm. with your gender mm-hmm. but it was like there was like a question and it, it said like how i see myself and then there's like a little like line mm-hmm. like zero to 100 without the numbers and like on the left side is like man and on the right side is woman and then it's like the next question or i guess like statement is like how i want others to see me and it's like man woman like how i dress and it's like feminine masculine and like you know i think they've the, since updated the unicorn to be maybe just a little less binary but um you would like mark a place on the line where you felt like you fit in mm-hmm. and i was like marking more on like the masculine area in in terms of like the way that i felt and the way that i wanted to be perceived by others mm-hmm. and i was like oh um I don't think then I n- would consider myself a, a woman. I guess now that we're now that you mention it, basically, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think um, kind of identify more as gender non-conforming. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that really opened up things a lot for me. And then I um, and then in the year 2016, I went to rehab. So I'm a recovering alcoholic, mm-hmm. and it was uh, an extremely amazing and helpful experience. And I was staying in a halfway house, and the halfway houses are, like, gendered. So it's mm-hmm. like, men stay here, the women stay here. And I was like, okay, I'll just, you know, go to the ladies' halfway house, not really trying to uh, explore my gender right now. I kind of need to, like, stop drinking. Yeah, there were other things on the table also. I was like, I'm going to put this on the back burner, I guess. <laughs> right. Um. And I did that. And after, you know, a year in Florida, I was like, well, I feel amazing. I feel super sober, but I am really not comfortable. Kind of like, I kind of feel like I'm like in drag at this point, like playing dress up as a girl, Mm. starting to feel weird. Um, And so I left Florida, um, like graduated from my like rehabilitation program and stuff. Right. To Boston. And I was like, hey guys, just, you know, everybody, I'm, I'm non-binary. I'm, I'm trans, transgender. And um, I think I identify as, like, transmasculine, meaning that I am, like, somebody who presents 
to others as like a, a more masculine person mm-hmm. without maybe specifically going full like man fully like uh adopting that um term for right, myself yeah. there are there are level there are gradients there's yeah. you know there's nuance it's nuanced yeah and it's individualistic um, yeah and uh yeah, I guess it's kind of been a fucking long journey. And then um, yeah. I think in 2019, I was like, okay, well, I think I'm going to start taking testosterone mm. um, because, I f- because I think it will help my body reflect the way that I feel and like mm. help reflect that back to myself like visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I've been on testosterone for a couple of years now. It like completely changed the... Uh, my my voice, like the octave of my voice. Yeah, was which that was a consideration uh, when I was beginning to take it? Right. I mean, did you were you did you latch on to that and understand that that could have an impact on on your voice before you started taking it? Yeah, I was like, you know, this will change my voice, you know, completely. So is that cool? Or and for a while, I was like, no, that's not cool. And then I was like. Fuck it. Mm. I'm just like, fuck it. I was like, I, all the other changes that testosterone produces, like I want all of those. Yeah. I'm just gonna fucking do it. We're just gonna do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, ironically thus, thus far, like the change in my voice has been like my favorite, uh, result of taking testosterone. Oh, interesting. Uh, It's been really fucking cool to like, kind of learn how to relearn how to sing. It's like my voice is a, different instrument than it once was right well it's super deep and resonant though you 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 did good in that regard i think (laughs) you've got to be pleased right jimmy i am yeah i'm well chuffed i will say yeah (laughs) um wow that's quite a journey and and um going to rehab and um getting sober um how much of so drinking clearly was was impeding your life and having a negative impact on your life. How much of that drinking had to do with gender issues and um, just your life? What what did it sort of add or subtract for you at the at the time? To and and it clearly became enough problem. And congratulations for doing that as well. You know, that's it's it's amazing and it's admirable. Yeah, you know. It's, like, hard to say, like, how much, like, in retrospect, because it's just, like, because, you know, towards the end of my drinking, I was just constantly drinking to, like, numb out any emotions. But Mm. I think, like, I think that my discomfort with, like, my lack of understanding of my own gender and sexuality and my, like, lack of happiness with, like, the way my gender was presented to other people, I guess, with eyes was like something that made me that discomfort. I was certainly keen to like drink away. Hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, definitely sucked. And, uh, well, at the, at the time did, did, <clears throat> was that a conscious decision to do that at the time to, to drink well, for a particular reason? Oh no, no. Oh, okay. I was like, we're getting drunk. Yeah, um, let's just have fun and do that. And then yeah. when- I started drinking because I was like, I'm uncomfortable with like the way that I feel generally. Like I feel anxious and mm. a little depressed. And when I drink, I, I don't feel those things. Mm. That's how it started. But it ended with like, well, I'm just going to drink every day because that's what I do. Uh-huh. And how much of it was, I can't handle what I'm... Uh, a difficulty in, in getting your arms around those incredibly difficult, you know, gender identity issues that you were dealing with at the time. Did that come into yeah. play? That was definitely a tentacle in there. Just like family relationships and those being like fractious was like a tentacle in there. Mm. Having trouble, like just being in college and like going to class, just not really being into that and feeling trapped was like a tentacle. And, like, ultimately, like, all of these things kind of meshed into this monster, like, me not wanting to and, like, being unable to, like, come face to face with my own emotions. Mm-hmm. And so it was, like, that tentacled being that mm. kind of rolled 
kind of like slithered, slithered into rehab, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you performing at the time when you were in Boston? I, 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 I think I read that you were doing open mics and things like that. Or, yeah, yeah. So I got there in 2011, and I like immediately started doing an open mic at this like burrito restaurant <laughs> down the street. <laughs> from, nice from school, and, and that was cool. I did some open mics on campus, and you know. I, in retrospect, I'm not really sure how I got any of that done because I was pretty intoxicated most of the time. Mm. But I like did record some EPs. I started playing live like a lot. Mm-hmm. I formed a band with buddies from college. We would like play house shows and basement shows, and then we started playing venues and like just recording more music and a like I think a an anchor of sanity for me was music. Whether that was like writing it or listening to it or, um, yeah, just being around it. Yeah. What was kind of the tipping point for you that, I mean, to go to rehab, that's a, that's an amazing, um, step to take. And clearly you benefited from it on a number of different levels. It gave you more clarity. It appears, um, really sent you on, on the journey for the rest of your life. What it's, it's such a courageous thing to do. What, what was kind of the tipping point? What, what pushed you in that direction that said, you know, this is enough. I want to, I need to do the thing that's best for me. And, and, and this is what's best. It's, it's an incredibly, um, you know, ma- mature decision to make and took a lot of effort to go all the way down to Florida and, 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 and get sober. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely perhaps necessity is the mother of responsibility. Mm. It became a necessity because, um, you know, in college I was like drinking too much and then like going to class and then cutting class and then like drinking too much and then like doing whatever. But um, there came a point in college where I just stopped collegeing and just was like, okay, drinking career. Maybe we could see how that goes. (laughs) Um, Right. And so you don't hear those two words together a lot with any yeah, like, rational format. Drinking career. Right. And um, thank God it was unsuccessful. And so I think the tipping point was just like the last year that I was drinking, I was psychiatrically hospitalized like four times, mm. maybe a bit mo- more for either like intoxication leading to like doctors interviewing me and me being like, yeah, I actually feel terrible. Like I'm dying and then them being like, go to a psych hospital or it might be like suicidal ideation Mm. or just like generalized suicidality. And I think I don't remember much about my last drink because I was very drunk, but I do remember (laughs) asking my partner for help. I think I called my sister who's a, who's a nurse and I was like, I need, I think, I I think I need help, but I don't want to go to the hospital. And she was like, why? And I was like, well, I've been there all the time. I'm always there. And I, and I never, like, commit to it. I, like, don't stick to it, and I don't get better. And she was like, well, do you need help? And I was like, yes. And she was like, then go to the hospital. And I was like, okay. Um, and, yeah, so I went to the hospital and I just remember waking up maybe at like 3 a.m. in mm. the hospital bed. And I was like wearing like, what are they called? Like Johnny's, like the hospital dress where you like don't have clothes on. It's like a little hospital. Yeah, the hospital gown or whatever. I don't know if there's a better term. Yeah. And I was like, again? And I was just like, this shit fucking sucks. And um, they they call it. Some recovery folks call it the gift of desperation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this fucking sucks. Um, I do not want to die, and I cannot live like this. So I don't know what the fuck is about to happen, but I need some help. Um, and so after that, I kind of just, for the first time in my like uh, psychiatric experience, I did whatever the doctors told me to. Wow. So they were like, do you want to go to a psych hospital? I was like, yes. And after the psych hospital, they were like, do you want to go to like a, a short rehab in, in Massachusetts? And I was like, yes. And after that rehab, they were like, do you want to go to a longer rehab in Florida? And I was like, well, not really. 
but I'll do it. And they're like, because the short rehab didn't work for you. It didn't work, but it was like, they were like, you need more rehab. Mm. And I was like, how much more rehab? And they were like, we don't know, but you're going to need more of it. And I was like, okay, okay, fine. So I went to like a 30 day rehab facility down in Florida. And then that rehab facility was like, we want you to stay in like the rehabilitation community and, and live in a halfway house. Um, and like go to, uh, intensive outpatient, like hospitalization programs where you like, it's just like group therapy and personal therapy. And like you live in a house with other recovering addicts and you like pee in a cup twice a week and you go to recovery meetings. And I was like, well, I don't really want to do that either, but if y'all think I should do that, I will do that. And they were like, you should definitely do that. I mean, I, yeah, I guess I'm like, there's like, there were so many levels and so many people and like, you really went through it all. And, and wow, that's, I think it's it, amazing. I think it's kind of hard to tell. Like, I don't know. I don't know if there's a different level. It is, it, it was, it was your experience. And, and fortunately you found right people that, that gave a shit. I mean, fortunately you had a, your, um, you know, your sister was a nurse and sort of pushed you in that direction. Yeah, I got Or is a nurse. Yeah. Very lucky. Well, the, and, um. Well, what's so amazing and what's so beautiful is that you've, 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 um, you reflect these, this life experience that has been difficult that you've, that you've overcome and, 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 um, confronted head on in an amazing level of vulnerability and honesty in your music. Um, has your prior to, having the challenges both from gender identity and from uh your you know your struggles with 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 alcoholism and drinking is that part of your personality to always sort of be self-reflective and open in, in such a way or had these experiences changed you in a way that made you want to share that with others that's a great question i think um i think I think the, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not like a, let's talk about my feelings type of guy. Actually, I don't like doing mm. it, but in rehab, I learned that I have to, or I will get really emotionally sick. Um, yeah. Well, to hear you say that is, is surprising to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> or surprising <laughs> to everyone else that's listening. They're like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I actually don't love talking about my feelings, yeah. but. Well, you had said writing through my music has helped me find my identity. So it's, it, it seems like if I can, if I can, um, uh, if I can sort of posit a, a theory is that it seems like you found this as a way to help your, to help your own self and understood yeah. the importance of doing so. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I, uh, I, I do, I, I, uh, I do like feeling okay. I like feeling joyful and like uh, yeah. life is worth living. Yeah. And for me, that necessitates talking about and processing my emotions. Right. You know, like right. a taste medicine sort of thing. Like, I really don't like the taste of Pepto-Bismol either. Right. But if your stomach's I'm upset, happy. you got to fucking take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much like that. <laughs> right. If you don't want to hurl and have an upset stomach the whole time. So what did that change over look like and how did that evolve? Well, I think, uh, you know... Rehab had a, had a lot to do with it because in, in rehab, you know, you, or maybe you don't know, you, you talk to a lot of doctors. Yeah. And, uh, and you talk to a lot of nurses, you talk to a lot of psychiatrists, and you talk to a lot of therapists, and you talk to your peers a lot about how you're feeling, mm -hmm. uh, where you're, where you're, where you've been, where mm -hmm. you're trying to go, where you're at now. Yeah. And so I got very much, you know, in the habit of talking about my feelings in a way that was like, um, I don't know, kind of became really, really normalized for me and the way that I communicate with other people. Yeah, good. What'd that look like? What kind of impact did that have on you? Was that easy for you? Was it hard? Was it just a fun, was it like just a utilitarian function of getting better? Because it was, it's really become a key part of your own artistic output. Yeah, it was, um, it was very difficult and, um, and it still is, but, um, 
I guess in re- in regards to like the like uh, personal nature of my music, it's like uh, when I was drinking, I was like lying all the time, uh, mostly stupid lies that nobody believed but me, but also some terrible lies and just harmful lies. Mm. Mm. So about about like instances about, about your own self about, about like, things oh, you I'm not intoxicated right now. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. We're just like, yeah, I did this thing that I said I was going to do so that you could do X, Y, Z. Like I was just an unreliable narrator. Um, (laughs) And part of sobriety and rehab, they're like, listen, if you want to get better, you know, lying, lying to yourself is harming you the most, just so you know. And I was like, Mm. right. Um, And so when I'm writing, I I feel the need and strong creative impulse and also necess yeah I feel the need to be uh, as honest as possible mm-hmm. whatever emotion I'm feeling that's coming up with in the song is um and I just kind of like ride that wave um and see where it takes me and as long as I'm honest about my feelings I'm like okay yeah that song is uh that song is true yeah and and it's interesting that you're <clears throat> it's difficult it, it it had been a difficult journey like another thing that you've overcome is is understanding where you want to be and 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 what you need to do to get to that point um and I can imagine you've had such a positive impact on so many people's lives as an artist putting out artistic content that 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 reflects such an incredible personal journey what what impact does that have on you when to not only know that there's others that are identifying with what you've been through in the songs and how open you are and vulnerable about it, um, but also in a kind of a live setting and, and, and fan reaction? What does that what does that mean to you? Um, yeah, it uh, it means it means a lot. It's uh, it's extremely humbling. To have people, you know, communicate with me that like my music has impacted them in like a in, like a positive way or in a mm. way that Yeah. Help them like through some emotional block or something. I uh I've like had folks come up coming up to me at shows um just talking about the ways that I've helped them like come to terms with like their trans identity or just with like some hard feelings like in general. Or just like you know, whatever. And I, uh, I'm really glad <laughs> because yeah. I, uh, you know, very selfishly write music for myself. Um, I write my music because I have a strong emotion that I need to like expel. Yeah, like a like a, like a literal spell, like casting a spell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that that actually gets to like reverberate through the ether and 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 bear like fruits of like wisdom and joy and like i don't know feelings of okayness for other people is really more than i could ask for yeah just like internally that 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 the effect on you i would i'd imagine is quite profound of of um sharing your own personal story that's so incredibly deep and and meaningful for you of course and you've gone through all that and to have people benefit from what you've gone through do you ever go through that in your own head oh, that's a good question you know it's kind of funny like i, <laughs> I was talking to my girlfriend about this like i i guess i kind of forget how like emotional and like personal my music is <laughs> okay <laughs> I'm only laughing because that's no, bananas. Because if anyone listens to like, you know, just like 20 seconds of one of your songs, <laughs> yeah. No. Okay, fair though. I'm glad I'm learning. Totally, totally right. And it, because in my, from my perspective, it's less like I'm sharing this deeply personal emotional thing, and and more just like I'm sharing this thing. I don't know. It it feels. It feels, um, you know, I mean, it definitely feels emotional to write to this music, but it also, it just feels 
It just feels like what it feels like to tell the truth. You know, you're just like, yes, yeah. this is. Uh, I, I think the first thing that came to my mind is that you're not, not to minimize it, but it's like, you're not, you're, you're, you don't find yourself having to dig deep for this stuff. You're just talking about your experience and that other people are really um, being affected by it deeply emotionally is almost seems like a conflict to you perhaps, but, but that's, <laughs> but that's, but that's okay. I mean, cause you've accessed this stuff that perhaps a lot of those that identify with what you're doing have not. And that can be incredibly helpful. That that's, does that feel empowering to you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's such a good point. I think I've, I've had the uh, privilege to just be like loaded up with all of these tools for like processing emotions. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe tools that other folks don't have or don't have not had access to, or like, I don't know, don't know how to use. And so it's, um, at this point, it's yeah. I don't. I don't have to dig deep. I'll just say that the songs kind of just <laughs> the songs yeah. like kind of write me, and I'm like, well, okay. Thank yeah, you. and how is that? How as has that realization that you um, that you enjoy being so vulnerable and honest in what your own thought process is? But this was super reflective of where you were at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. Maker is an incredibly profound song. Um, and um, where you talk about being God, or you're even greater than God, you're a maker, which I took to understand, like, you can create the person that you want to be. I mean, that, yeah. that was my, that was kind of my takeaway from it. Um, but uh, you're sort of ruffling your brow. Oh, man, what is he talking about? No, uh, no, you're totally, I, I feel you. I'm, yeah? I'm about the, uh, the context in which I wrote it. Um, oh, what was, yeah. I hadn't gotten sober yet. Mm. Um. And I, I, I just, I think that that, that is a good, good point. That's just like an astute analysis because I think mm. I kind of wrote it as like a, like a message of hope for myself. I was like, listen. Oh, right on. Oh man. I like the song even more now. <laughs> <laughs> so a message of hope. So kind of re- rephrase that sort of, what do you, um, in, what does that mean for you? I think like, you know, I mean, at the time it meant like, Hey. I was just, you know, I, I wrote that song. I remember exactly where I was. I was in a apartment in Somerville, Massachusetts, and it was really fucking cold. And my roommates were at their jobs because they had jobs and lives. And I was at home, and I think I'd maybe just run out of money, so I didn't have any alcohol to drink. And I was having a bad time. Mm. Um, and I was like, this shit is terrible, and I feel terrible. And so I, like, picked up my guitar for the first time in a while. And I, like, just started playing it. And, like... A lot of times when I write a song, it just happens. And I'm just like there to write it down, like more of a more of the person taking notes than the person doing that performance, like the person taking notes on whatever. Interesting, so, yeah. I uh I didn't really know where that song came from, but I was really moved to write it and I remember like I the guitar part was really hard for me to play. And it was really fucking cold, and my fingers started, like, freezing. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I ended wow. up, like, I like to record demos when I write, and I yeah. just, my fingers got so cold that I started, like, going into the kitchen and, like, heating up some warm water for 30 seconds and, like, uh-huh. putting my fingers in it for a minute. Oh, man. And then going back to, like, record and play the song because I felt compelled, for whatever reason, to, like, finish writing it and, like, recording it or whatever. Right. I forgot about that. And then I, you know, when, and, and I was doing, I was reading where, you know, um, I guess you were reflecting on fans talking to you about, about your songs and saying how they made the, those songs that were making them cry, listening to them. And you were like, well, shit, it made me cry when I wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's definitely true. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, um, it's, it's really, it's really admirable and, 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 um, I, I really enjoyed that about about your music. Another another thing I really like about the music is that um, you said I live strange. <laughs> I love you know you love mu- different kind of musical combinations and just kind of being creative in in weird ways. Can you <laughs> you're laughing? Can you talk about that a little bit, Jimmy? Shit. Well, listen, I don't remember saying that, but <laughs> it is true. So well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um... I like uh, 
music that is interesting, and I won't write music that I don't personally think is interesting. Um, so if I'm writing a song and it feels like formulaic or like untrue in some way, I'll just like stop. I'm like this shit is boring. Mm. So it takes certain musical elements to like hold my attention. So I, I like stuff that's kind of like left of center and like off the beaten path, or maybe just like straight up fucking strange. I've been listening to a lot of Philip Glass. Mm. Uh, it's like this really odd opera he wrote called Satyagraha. Um, right, which is um, <clears throat> a Hindu yeah. term for, uh, I forget exactly what it was, but it was part of Gandhi's practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's about Gandhi and also other, like, I guess, folks who have changed, like, the face of society through peaceful action. Interesting. And, um, it's just a fucking weird opera. But I'm like, this shit's great. I just like shit that sounds maybe a little weird. I got this John Coltrane record on, just a Love Supreme Live. Mm-hmm. And, um... You know, side B ends with a like a two minute long drum solo that you then get the next record and it, it keeps going on side uh, on side three <laughs> on sides yeah it's so funny it's one oh, of the funniest experience but it's also I'm like yeah I'll fucking keep listening to this drum solo right any music that anybody might think is interesting in some way I'm kind of interested to check it out yeah totally I mean that's what the musical experience and the creative experience is all about like put it out there and and we'll all listen to it is that is is um is that kind of reflecting on what your next sort of direction is? I mean, you have a single out that you, uh, um, Stranger, your debut single on, now you've moved over to 4AD from Father Daughter, if I understand correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where, I mean, uh, and on, on, on that single itself, you really talk about your, your, your own personal gender transformation and, and, and those, those issues. Um, so we're not done with all that. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Right. <laughs> yeah. I guess not. You <laughs> <laughs> continued. Um, yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. I, I'm, I'm just finished finishing up a new record with 480. Yeah. Oh, awesome. That's great. What are the dates? Do you have a, like a thought is like next year? Uh, next year? Mm -hmm. Question mark. Uh, Have you been playing some stuff live? I have. Oh, cool. It's been super fun and it's easily the strangest sounding music I've ever made. Interesting. Yeah. And you've worked together with, um, did you work with Bartiz, Strange? Um, we didn't work together, but... We did, we, we like, um, the, the label Psychic Hotline, which is founded by the, the Sylvan Esso folks, mm-hmm. put out some singles and stuff. And so, like, I had a single A-side, B-side with Bartiz. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Uh, and yeah, it was cool. He's great. He's great. He's great. Yeah. This thing is fucking awesome yeah and i guess sylvanescent folks are some are, are also sort of connected up with um you know i had jen wasner on the show from flock of dimes and, right. and yeah those are all um really really great is, is there is there a point i i guess all right this is not a trick question I, I really do mean this seriously but um stranger you know you're continuing the thread of your gender identity which is clearly part and parcel of who you are mm-hmm. right and you speak so eloquently eloquently and 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 honestly and 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 openly ab- about what it means for you and what the challenges are for you um is it um what other kinds of analysis do you inject into sort of different things in your life that, that, that brings the songwriting process for you and brings new songs to you? It sounds like, you know, you've got this incredible mind that's like looking at different, uh, at, at, um, different ways of, of being creative, but that, that vulnerable, that, that vulnerability and that openness has been such a signature of what you've done of your creative output so far. Does it ever sort of concern you that that's such been, been such an important part of, of, of what you've done to, to date in your artistic life? Um, nah, I don't yeah. think so. And, but that's only because, uh, 
it's like uh it feels like a it feels like an intrinsic property of of my artistic life mm. so it's like it, it feels so like uh how do i say this like um Yeah, I guess for like an analogy, like this is a serious analogy, but like it's like being like, like wa- like water is water concerned that it's like too wet? No, it's like nah, it's just wet. Yeah, it's just moist, and like my it's my, the property of what it I, is. Yeah, so it's just it's just so, uh, and I, it's something that you know, I think will probably. I mean, I can almost I can almost say with complete certainty that that's just something that will remain in my creative output. Yeah. It's, it's who you are. And it's the way you look at, and, and the, the way you've looked at your own experience, um, is, is, is such a, um, is, is reflected in your own creative output in the way, and, and the, the way that your brain thinks and how you're, and, and what, how you look at different events that occur, whatever your songwriting inspiration might be. Um, and that's really cool. Uh, I think I, I, I read, uh, a little bit in 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 looking over kind of you know researching and in talking um to others about about these issues but um i think i read that you looked you 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 mentioned that there was a feeling of kind of being untethered as a trans person and that sort of the the need for that kind of of community out there um what what you sort what, what did you mean by that um Let's see. Well, I think if I was talking about uh, community untethering, wait, was it like, because... Well, what I'm trying to sort of just get at is, wait, wait I'll make it easier. Like, just, um, it, it's not so much if you, you said that or not, but there, um, the, the need to, for having community, um, gotcha. you know... If you're 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 writing these songs and you're identified as you, as you, as you identify as a trans person, there's going to be um, sort of a, a community, not necessarily community response, like it's something that needs to be talked. To, it is something that needs to be talked about, but in in having fans and 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 being kind of a point person for your fans and 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 cre- you're you're almost creating a particular community. What sort of impact does it have on uh, on you um, to be potentially in that position? Wow. That's a good question. Hot dang. <laughs> I haven't thought about it enough. I, uh, well, do I you think, do you, do you place a lot of importance on community for, for trans people? I do. Mm-hmm. I will say like, you know, I haven't had a ton of touring experience. So I think like, you know, kind of only, you know, my, my, uh, contact with like my, with like the trans community that like is interested in my music has been like limited to uh, social media up until very recently. Mm-hmm. I will say like being being at a show and like having a bunch of queer and trans people come up to me afterwards and be like, "Hey, we're all gay," and be like, "Came to your show because we're all gay," <laughs> and we all <laughs> like. I, I'm like that is like the best thing I have ever heard. It <laughs> is so exciting um, to have like. To have folks, period, come up to te- chat with me after the show, and it's like doubly exciting to have trans folks come up to chat with me after the show. It's just like surreal, and it just makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we'll talk a little bit more about the um, kind of that particular impact for you. Why does it make you so happy? Like, what is what is really what's really going on there for you? You know, I think like, you know, for, for most of my life and like most of the most of my life where I like realized that my gender and ident- gender identity and sexuality weren't what I thought it was, mm-hmm. that was just extremely hard. Um, and like being trans is awesome and it's also really fucking hard Yeah, and can suck in a lot of ways, mostly related to the perception of me or us trans folks by society. Um, and it's just, it just can it fucking be awful um, to be a trans person who isn't like accepted by their family or like friends or like whatever. Like my parents are transphobic and it fucking sucks. 
Um, yeah. And I know so many trans people who have been like disowned by their families or like, you know, are just creating new family, like chosen family, because we've just been like ejected by our nuclear biological family. And so like, there's just so many aspects of being trans that are so challenging and difficult and painful. And so like seeing sh- folks at shows, just seeing trans folks at shows that are just like straight up happy and like excited and in a group and like supported by one another is it's a, it's amazing. It's yeah. like, it's almost, it's like a little, a mini little gay vacation. that we're <laughs> Yeah. I mean, being at a show and having community for, for, um, for, for any people, um, for anyone, uh, is, is, is enlightening and empowering and just feels fucking good. Um, and I, I I can only imagine, you know, what you've already reflected on is being rejected by your parents and, um, or not accepted. Not, I don't know if it's rejected, but not, not accepted or, you know, they're giving you a hard time there. You said they're transphobic. Um, but being in, in the community that even has even, a grander, deeper meaning because of some of people have been rejected by so many. And it's so also just so difficult to, to walk the planet when it's not, when people look at you in a certain way with certain preconceived notions about um, who you are and, and, and who you want to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Snaps to that. Fuck. Yeah, man. I applaud you. I applaud you, Jimmy. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, brother. Um, I, um, uh, I'm just, I, I was, thanks so much for, thanks so much for sharing. I'm, I'm, I'm so psyched to have you here and learn, learn more about you. And, um, uh, for all those listening, give or take her, it came out in 2020, but it's, it's just an amazing album. And you also did an instrumental arrangement of a bunch of those songs too, which is really, yeah. really fucking cool. Yeah. Are you not remembering that now? <laughs> remember I, that? Not remembering that yet. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> Yo, you're quite welcome. Let me anything else you'd like to know about your career? <laughs> Hart is an amazing arranger and we hit him up to like make orchestral arrangements of three tunes from Give or Taker and he just fucking went off the plank. Well, he just- yeah, he worked with poly- Polyphonic Spree. I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's, it's such a sick job it's good stuff well, i'm super looking forward to um hearing this next album and what you have and i'd um hopefully i'll be able to catch up with you in a in a in a, in a venue at some point and listen to some of those songs and uh i understand you're going out this fall with jose gonzalez and you can learn more about about touring and how that's going to work for you i'm i'm uh, I'm, I'm happy for you thank you thank you yeah thanks so much for being here jimmy it's been a real pleasure to get to know you yeah. i wish you so much luck Thank you so much for having me. Right on. Take care. Take care. Okay. That was me talking to an Jimmy Lee. Uh, Jimmy was such an amazing guest. I really enjoyed talking to them. Uh, their latest album from 2020 is entitled Give or Taker. Uh, and the new single is out entitled Stranger on the 4AD label. Uh, they've also got some new material they're working on, and uh, that should be um, forthcoming in the next year, question mark, as they put it. Uh, not really sure about that. They've got an upcoming tour. Make sure to visit their website for more information on tour dates. Um, you know, like I said at the top and during that chat uh really have so much admiration for jimmy for what they've been through along the way uh in terms of their journey as a trans person and as a sober person and just having that recognition and understanding and desire and willingness um especially on uh uh in terms of their journey as a sober person to to get better when that time came that the recognition that they were drinking too much and what can they do about that and what really struck me was when uh he said you know i just decided i was going to listen to what the doctors said and you know that 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 takes a lot of courage and a lot of willingness to just to just get better and 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 move on and they've been through through so much and i have so much admiration and love for that um wow uh what else could i say about that um 
there were out on their first tour during the early part of this year uh, with Hooray for the Riff Raff and also went out as well with Tune Yards. It was interesting to hear them talk about how they were learning about touring as they go. And it's really exciting as uh, as Angemily starts their, um, their journey out as a performing artist in a live setting. And uh, it's just really exciting and uh, to hear them talk about the type of, um, of interaction that they've had with fans along the way and what impact of being a trans person has been uh, for them and has had on their fans is just extraordinary, heartwarming, and just really beautiful. And it's really what it's all about. So, Thanks again to you for all for being here for this episode. I'm so psyched to continue to bring you these amazing uh, chats with amazing artists. And for this episode, I really want to thank Anjimali for sharing their story with us on this episode of Road Case. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. Yeah.